you everyone for joining Knights in the Breach, your bi-weekly podcast chronicling the people and events around the 740 from a faith-based perspective. This week we'll be talking to Deacon Jeff Hurdley. Al, tell us a little bit about Deacon Jeff. Well, good morning, uh, Mike. And yes, uh, Deacon Jeff was born June 20th, 1964 in Youngstown, Ohio. He attended Austin Town Finch uh, High School and he is a graduate of the Ohio State University uh, School of Law. He's a retired lawyer, married to Christine in June of 87. He has three children, two grandchildren, and was ordained a deacon in November 7th of 2020. Thanks, Alan. Um, before we begin, I want to take a few moments and just let you know uh, what's been going on recently. Um, the Knights of Columbus Council, we held our annual Blue Mass on Monday, uh, September 11th. Uh, it was a tremendous turnout. We invited all the first responders around our community, uh, and I thought it was it was really beautiful um, coming together as a community and praying that way. Uh, we also held our uh, annual awards picnic. And congratulations to my podcast partner for being named Knight of the Year. Thanks. Thanks, Well Alan. done. Thank you. Yeah, I know um, it was very special for me to, to win that. Uh, very proud. I know there are several, several other brother knights who were just as deserving. Um, but the fact that, that you guys bestowed that upon me, I'm, I'm just really thankful and appreciative. It was uh, well deserved. That. So thanks. Well, without any further ado, let's get to Deacon Jeff Hurdley. Good morning, Deacon. Thanks for being here with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing today, Alan? Very good. Very good. Awesome. Uh, before we get started here, Deacon, would you mind leading us in a prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for all the blessings you shower upon us, including the ability to work together to extend and build up the kingdom. And we pray that uh, as we continue to labor in this regard, that you will fill us with your spirit. Give us the ability, Lord, to do this with great earnestness and joy. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, Deacon. Uh, so how, uh, how's your summer been going? It has been busy. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> what, uh, what's been going on? Catch us up, fill us in. Well, um, of course, we have all the activities of summer with family. Um, and uh, with regard to the church family, uh, we are in the process of bringing two communities together under the Real Presence, Real Future process and the bishop's uh, determination that St. Mark is to be merged into St. Mary. So there's been a lot of activity with regard to that. Uh, I'm on the transition team. Uh, with a group of other people that are helping Father Craig navigate through that. And uh, it's it's just involved a lot of activity, but it's, it's good. It's yeah. really good. It's exciting, too. So, Dickon, uh, with all that going on, what's your feeling? Is, is the parish communities, both St. Mary and St. Mark, kind of embracing this now uh, as, okay, we're here, it's inevitable, Let's let's go with this? Uh, I don't know about embracing. I think um, 
I think what's going on here is that every change is difficult. Nobody really likes change all that much. There, there may be some people in we the world who do. We are of habit. <laughs> but they're a little bit strange. Uh, most people don't like change uh, and it, because it's difficult and it's uh, unknown territory. And uh, I think when the initial announcement came out, there was a lot of anxiety about that. Um, some some uh, sadness, you know, that uh, the things that are very well known and uh, the things that are loved may be changing. Uh, so I, I think that that was to be expected. It's natural and it did take place. I have been very pleasantly surprised though that as we've moved into this process that um, there has been energy um, and enthusiasm about the possibilities uh, that exist in bringing the two communities together. I've been very uh, pleased that uh, with the mass schedule uh, changes that were made that people seem to be adjusting to those, you know, not just at St. Mark but also at St. Mary because I think all of the mass times were changed and uh, it affected everybody in both communities. Uh, but I think that that is going pretty well. The attendance at the services has been good. Um, at St. Mark, it's been very good, notwithstanding the fact that we don't have air conditioning. Right. And we're in the <laughs> middle of the summer. So Takes uh, us back a long time to when that was the standard. <laughs> right. I was going to mention the same thing about mass attendance, just you know, being there with, with my family and Alan. You, you see it as well. And oh, obviously, yeah. you too, Deacon. Just the amount of people that's there and the energy, even though it is so hot, but it feels like you know, there's a little bit of a rejuvenation there. You know, there's more families, people we've never seen before. I mean, it really is a beautiful a thing. A lot of new faces every Sunday. That's been my take from it. I think, yeah, well, there have been a, nicely. a lot of new faces. And uh, it is it is energizing. It is exciting. It's wonderful to come and worship the Lord. And uh, it is energizing when the church is full and people are singing and they're praising God. Um, and it's wonderful when the communion line just goes on and on and on. It's you need like an additional communion coming. song. They're yeah. still coming. They're still coming. That is so wonderful. I mean, for for the uh, ordinary ministers of Eucharist, the priests, deacons, oh, that is that is so powerful uh, to uh, to be there as people surrender their life anew to yeah. the Lord. Um, and commit themselves again to him in the Eucharist. Uh, it's just wonderful. So these things um, have, been, uh, have been very good uh, as part of the transition, and um, we're excited about some of the new things that are planned in the future. Uh, we're still uh, looking to um, hire folks uh, at St. Mary for evangelization, and uh, we're hopeful that we'll get somebody in the near future for that. And then that will open up a whole series of new um, ideas and possibilities. And I think um, that people will be excited about that. And I hope and pray they embrace it with all their heart. I uh, yeah, I actually saw the job posting on their uh, St. Mary's website. So I encourage people, if you're interested in that, um, and you have some sort of background uh, in that, Go, go take a look. And we can add that in our show notes. We'll add a link to the website so yep. people can check that out. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks for the update, Deacon. Um, I want to go back a little bit and just, just learn a little bit about you and, and your family. Um, you were born 
I guess we don't got to give the year away, but were you, are you from Ohio? I am, northeastern Ohio. Okay. Born in Youngstown. Uh, actually, the, uh, I lived in the suburb on the west side of Youngstown called Austin Town and uh, in the Steel Valley Conference uh, for football. Um, and uh, just had a, a really good good childhood um, in, in Austin Town. Uh, was baptized as a Catholic. Uh, and uh, had a wonderful childhood. Had our our church was right down at the end of our street, and it was nice to be able to uh, on Sunday mornings just to be able to walk out the door and walk down the street, and there's a church. Uh, and it uh, in the area that I grew up in, uh, a little bit different from the area down here in the sense that almost everybody was a Catholic. Wow. So the Catholic there's Catholic churches everywhere. Sure. And uh, when you're in school, even in public school, everybody's Catholic. Uh, and that's a little bit different from down here. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not as, the number of uh, Catholics in our community is not overwhelming like it was up there. But uh, just had uh, a wonderful experience uh, in the church as a child, but kind of wandered away from that. Yeah. As I got older. Do uh, do you remember anything specifically your family would do as like a tradition growing up that stood out? Um, you know, from the things that I remember, and this is this isn't so much with regard to my family, and I have to give you a little bit more background about sure. my family. Uh, so, my mother converted to Catholicism when she was in her teens. So Catholicism was new to her. She didn't grow up in a Catholic background. As a matter of fact, her family um, was largely not attending church at all, any type of church. My father, he also grew up in a family that was unchurched. Um, and his family, to my extent, I, I don't know that they ever attended church. So when my father met my mother, he was obviously impressed by the fact that she was very religious, very devout, faithful believer. She's a new convert, and she's on fire for the Lord. Uh, and he respected that. And I would imagine, I, I don't know for a fact, but I would imagine they had conversations about, all right, as we build our family, what are we going to do? We're going to raise them Catholic, and I need to be a part of their life, so what am I going to do? He even though he was not baptized, um, had no Catholic background, he went to a Catholic church every Sunday. Wow. Uh, and uh, when, when uh, I was young and, and our family was young, I had a, a brother who was two years younger than I at the time. Uh, my, what my parents did was uh, one of them would stay home and watch us while we were very young, and then the other would go to church. So they started this habit of going to church at different times. And uh, my father always went to church um, at St. Christine's, which was a little bit a little bit of a drive, not the church at the end of the street, but a little bit of a drive. And it was the church where they were married in. So he had this love for that church. And that was his church. He always went to St. Christine's. And I, rem I have fond memories of going to church with my dad. Uh, and I, at the time, I had no idea he wasn't Catholic. I was being raised as a child because he's practicing 
the faith. Now, he's not going up for communion, but there were other people who didn't go up for communion, and I, I didn't think too much about that, right. didn't question that when I was a kid. But the, the habit of going to church with my father, you know, even as I grew older, um, that was something that was very fond of me. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. So uh, I guess what was the reason for him not, you know? I asked him that. Uh, I forget how old he was. He was probably um, probably in his 50s when I asked him about that. And he said, you know, I believe in God. I believe that God wants us to worship him. I'm not so sure that he has a particular way that he wants us to worship him. Sure. Uh, so I've always been a little bit uncomfortable about choosing a particular way. Well, that changed in his life uh, as he uh, experienced a major health crisis. Uh, when he was uh, 54 years old, he had, a di he had a stroke at work and they had to carry him out on the stretcher and it was a diabetic stroke. And um, as he was getting treatment for that, uh, the doctors told him that his, you know, diabetes weakens the organs of the body. And it's not in any particular organ. It's different for individuals. And for some people, it's their eyes. For other people, it's their heart. And for my father, it was his heart. And the doctor said, there's a good chance you're going to have a heart attack here. And uh, you may not live that long. And that really was a shock to him. I mean, the whole thing about a sudden stroke and then you know, in being in a hospital. My father never went to a hospital. Right, right. He never went to a doctor. So being in a hospital and having tubes all in you, and it was, that's a very traumatic experience. And it's a, it was a real wake-up call for him. And it began uh, the process of him really, really seeking the Lord in earnest wanting to know uh, the Lord better and wanting to, to worship him in a way that would be pleasing to him. And he prayed about that and he, uh, he, really, he started reading about that. Uh, the local priest came and started talk, talking to him about the faith and my father decided to go through RCIA. And he did that, received all of the sacraments and um, he lived uh, three more years, uh, and then he had a massive heart attack uh, while he was getting his hair cut one day. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Which was very traumatic um, in and of itself. Sure. Uh, he's, he had a barber that he went to for decades. They were good friends, and he was in the barber shop. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the barber shop, you know, it, it's not that you're just going to get your hair cut. You know, if it's a barber that you've known for years, it's you're like kind a kind of social, one of the guys. You're one of the guys. Yeah. You know, your friends are sitting on the bench waiting to get their hair cut. You're talking. So he's there with his barber, his friend of many years and other men that he knows. And uh, he's getting out of the chair and he grabs the armrest and he pushes up and he has a massive heart attack. Wow. Mm. And he falls back and he's dead. Uh, and um, that had to be, I mean, you did you know, did your father get with you and say, hey, this is, I may not be around No, forever. it was total shock to me. Oh. I thought he was fine. Uh, you know, my dad was a very private person, um, and he didn't 
I knew he, he had a stroke, I knew he was ill, but he was treatment, he got treatment, and I thought, okay, he's fine, he's managing this well, and when I got the news uh, that he had a heart attack, it was a, it was a real shock. I was going to say that had to have just shaken the entire family uh, to its core. Uh, it did. Uh, it did. And I, I know this uh, plays a part in your conversion mm -hmm. story or reversion, if you will. Um, but before we, we get there, just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, uh, you, you went to Ohio State? Yes, I did. You studied law? I did. So I went to Ohio State for undergrad as well as law school. Uh, the Ohio State. The. The, the Ohio uh, State yeah. University. Uh -huh. When I started, it was just Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elevated in stature, you know, as I, as I sure. left the university. Did yeah. You, did you always know that you wanted to be a lawyer? <laughs> uh, I remember when I was in high school, I had a teacher, my favorite teacher. Uh, his name was Mr. Cola, great saint of God. And um, he taught cultural studies, and it was he taught it like a college-level course. And I was very close to uh, Mr. Cola, respected him a lot. And I went up to him as my favorite teacher, and I said, Mr. Cola, um, I have to make a decision about where to go to school and what to pursue as a major. And I'm thinking about being a teacher. And he's, he stopped and he, he kind of looked and he said, you know, I think you'd be a really good attorney. Uh, and I, I respected this man and I respected his judgment, so I started thinking about that. And the more I thought about it, the more I really thought that that would be a good profession to pursue for me. Wow. Uh, and I did, and I never, I never really looked back. Just, uh, just went in. Just went in. <laughs> I was very determined. It was on my list of things to do, and I yeah. just pursued it. Uh, unlike my wife, who I met in college, and okay. she was had some ideas about what she wanted to do, but she wasn't fixed on anything. But I was like, nope, this is what I'm doing. I'm, this is where this, I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, w when did you pass the bar? I passed the bar in, what was it, 80, 89. 89. Yes, okay. 89. Nice. So when you become a lawyer, isn't it Esquire, right? Jeff? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Deacon Jeff Hartley Esquire. <laughs> yeah, there we go. No, I don't. <laughs> I generally don't tell people I'm an attorney, although I'm just telling everybody now. Yeah, no, everybody knows. And that's why we're doing this. So um, We're working on the nameplate right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us how you... Uh, Met Chris and shout out to, to Chris Hurdley. She's a lovely lady. And we hope to talk to her someday. But tell us a little bit about that story. So, uh, my wife and I both lived in the Stadium Scholarship Dormitory, which was um, a program that Ohio State had for students who had both need as well as academic um, credentials. So, uh, and it was a co op program where you attended. Um, Ohio State and you got to live in the stadium scholarship dorm and you were assigned jobs that needed to be done in the dormitory in, in return for uh, reduced um, room and board. So uh, there was various jobs that we had and it was a male-female uh, dormitory setting and um, I was in a male unit uh, so the you have male units and female units, right? But they're they're sort of intermixed, 
throughout the three floors of the dormitory. And the dormitory actually sat underneath Ohio Stadium. Oh, wow. So, yeah, many people don't know that. It's not there now. They, they knocked it down. But it used to sit up underneath the stands on the riverside. And it was, it was great. Uh, on football Sundays, you could just walk out the uh, the door in the dormitory and walk right into the stands and I can imagine yeah it was it was a lot of fun uh, but we're in this dormitory and she's my she's my sort of a RA gotcha or unit leader they they in the dorm it was unit leader and I was I was attracted to Chris uh, she was um, she was so energetic and she was planning all these activities. And just a lot of fun. She's, she's a very upbeat, happy person. And uh, I was attracted to her. Um, and one day, um, I am in the laundry room. We have this long laundry room that everybody has to pass through in order to get any place in the dorm. It's sort of centrally located. So there's a lot of traffic in and out. And I'm in the laundry room doing laundry. And um, as I was, as I, when I was a child, my mother, she wouldn't let us do laundry. So like, probably for good reason, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, I'm not, allowed, I'm not allowed to do laundry she in my just house. Wouldn't so. let us, she wouldn't uh, let us touch the laundry. So I'm at college, and uh, I need to do my own laundry. So she wrote me five pages of instructions. Oh wow! <laughs> on how to do laundry, and I'm in the laundry room, and I have a little cardboard box that has soap and stuff in it, and I pull out my instructions, and I'm <laughs> reading. <laughs> And my wife, Chris, comes up and she says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting ready to do laundry. I said, I've got, I'm reading my instructions. <laughs> she starts laughing. She goes, it's not that complicated. <laughs> she goes, Here, for a would-be lawyer, you have to dot your I's and cross your T's, yeah. so I can see. Well, you know. Attention <laughs> So she said, here, let me show you. And uh, she did. And that, that just started, um, I guess, a, a, a more direct relationship with her and um, and then as a unit leader she planned a function one fall uh, where we went on a hayride um, somewhere on the east side of Columbus and uh, it's in a rural area and it was a lot of fun you know just beautiful fall evening and we're in a barn and uh, we were doing square dancing and um, you know for for folks who've done square dancing you know you change partners as you square dance and um, we came to the point where we swung around and then I started dancing with her and um, then went on a hayride with her and then we just began the process of the sort of dating within the dormitory and spending more time together. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's great. And so um, from that, you guys will be married 36 years this year. No, we're, we are 36 now. Going 36 on. now. 36 wow. now, yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, and you thank have you. three adult children? Yes. Mm -hmm. And two grandchildren? Two grandchildren. And the oldest uh, grandbaby is? That's uh, Nora, and she's three years old. Wow. And her sister Molly just turned one year old. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we love seeing them at, at church. Yeah. It's great to see them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. So... As you're going through your, your time in college, um, I'm sure being a deacon's nowhere on your radar at this point. No. And you probably weren't. <laughs> were you practicing your faith? Was Chris a Catholic and practicing her faith? Um, yeah. So I was a Catholic, and um, 
the, the issue of practicing the faith is a hard one. I was not walking with the Lord. Okay, I was not thinking about God. Um, I was not. I wouldn't characterize myself as a religious person. Uh, I very rarely thought about God, uh, but I went to church every week, and that again was the influence of my father and going to church with my dad every week. It's just this is what we do, uh, and that was a habit, a holy habit, that was formed, um, and I have fond memories of attending church with my dad, so I'm going to church. And uh, we went to the Newman Center uh, at Ohio State, and for those who've been to the Newman Center, it was, it's a great worship environment. They had a band, a lot of volunteers from Ohio State who were there, and the music was great, and people were singing um, at the top of their lungs, which wasn't always the case when I was growing up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So that was new. There's like this energy as people are worshiping God. And we went every week. Um, I invited Chris, and Chris started to go to church with me. But Chris, I thought she was baptized. She wasn't even baptized. What her background was that her, her parents didn't go to church. She's pretty much unchurched as well. But her grandfather was a Baptist preacher. And she used to go to church with her grandparents. And she would talk about her grandparents quite a bit. And then as we, as we spent more time together and uh, were more serious in our relationship, I met her grandparents. And, uh, you know, they're very, very uh, faithful people. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't realize that my wife wasn't baptized. But in the Baptist tradition, until you are at the point of making a commitment to the Lord, you're, you're not baptized. But she she knew about God. She, uh, you know, she has, would talk about Jesus fondly, and I thought, well, she's just a Christian. I uh, had no idea that she wasn't baptized at wow. the time, though. Wow. Yeah. So um, you, you said you passed the bar in 89. Yeah. Right? Uh, you're, quick math, married at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you're just kind of in family life. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what your, your first, uh, daughter was born. Uh, she was born in 92. 92. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're coming up on, uh, what was the family dynamic like? Like, were you guys still going to church on Sundays? Were you? Yes. Uh, church was a lifeline for me. As I said, I wasn't really walking with the Lord. Um, I was pretty much, uh, consumed with being an attorney okay uh, uh, it's hard to uh, to become an attorney you have to put in long hours I would study uh, 15 16 hours a day sure you know in in college uh, what area of the law were you specializing in or were you just kind of out there kind of uh, environmental law environmental law yeah so when I was uh, when I was practicing. I started at the Attorney General's office and um, was in the environmental enforcement section and really enjoyed that area of law. I thought it was a good area to practice in. Uh, I wanted to contribute to society and I thought environmental law would be a good area to address a lot of societal problems. Um, and so I, I started in that area, but it is intense and uh, the hours were long. Uh, trial practices is very the hours are very 
very helter-skelter. Uh, they're long, but it's not unusual to have to stay late on a Friday to for a court appearance or, you know, to work on pleadings that need to be filed first thing Monday morning, you know, so you're working in the weekend. And uh, I was I was just consumed with work. Uh, it's a very stressful environment, so uh, I was dealing with that uh, quite a bit, and it was it was affecting me. It was slowly turning me into um, somebody who was very aggressive and very hard, um, kind of building a shell in terms of the type of job that we're working in. Uh, the practice of law used to be collegial. It's not as much anymore. Uh, now it's, it, as I left the practice of law when I retired, it was getting very combative. Um, less the point where, you know, you're, you're your friends with opposing counsel. You could go, you know, after a court appearance or whatever, and you could go out to a bar and have a drink with somebody who's an opposing counsel and just find out about them and laugh, you know, you know, just enjoy getting to know them better. Um, less so when I left practice. It's sort of like you're just adversaries, and um, and you know that's unfortunate, but that's where our culture was headed. I, I hope and pray that that changes. I'm not exactly sure where it's at today, but I think it was it was heading worse, and I think it's probably not too pleasant <laughs> for those who are practicing sure. actively now. So it, it sounds like you're obviously consumed by work. Like mm -hmm. you said, you worked really hard to get your degree to pass the bar. Now you're you know you're practicing law. You want to you know move forward in your career, right? But that's going to take a lot of effort and additional time. But um, it also takes a lot of time to raise a family and be a good husband, too. Right. So <clears throat> what happened uh, with, with Chris and I is that I'm working at the Attorney General's office. There are very long hours, and um, I had a very uh, large case involving an area of law that I wasn't familiar with. So I mentioned I started out in the environmental enforcement section. Because I was consumed with work and my goals were fame and fortune at the time, I wanted to make a name for myself. And you saw yourself excel. arguing before the Supreme Court one day. Well, I was day. very, very ambitious, right. you know, wanted to advance in my career. Sure. Um, so I, there was a position that opened in a business section and I took that. I, haven't, I have no background in business law, so it was a total, totally new area of law and I thought well surely somebody will help me get acclimated here that was not the case I was um, I was in a new section in a new area of law and there was nobody who practiced the type of business law that I had just um, you know applied for and I'm now working in so I'm on my own and a huge huge case developed uh, before I got there, it had, it had just started, and the attorney who was working there <laughs> knew a little bit about what this case was going to entail, and he got out of Dodge. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, Saw it right on so, the wall, yeah. got out. And here I am coming in there, and uh, that turned out to be very, very aggressive and very difficult. I'm trying to come up to speed in the area of law as well as navigate uh, a very intense case. And um, so I'm putting in even longer hours. And uh, at this time in our life, uh, we're, Chris is pregnant. We're about, we're going to have our first child, Caitlin. Um, 
and I am not home and I am very just like I said very hard very angry individual because of everything that that this practice entails and um, Chris came to me one day and basically said look uh, you have got to apply for a new job this is not working we're about ready to have a family and these type of hours are not going to work and I I didn't really want to do that uh, but uh, I, I also you know didn't want to to lead a life that was going to uh, lead to a lot of unhappiness for Chris and uh, to, and to lead a life where I wouldn't be there for my children so I did apply for new jobs and I applied to become uh, an in-house attorney at a government agency where the hours were more regular and I told uh, my superiors at the AG's office that I'm going to do this and um, I'm on the pro you know I'm on my way to transition into a new job and I got a call one evening at home and it was the attorney general himself and he said you know I've been talking to your section chief and she's told me about um, who you are and what you've been doing and your uh, your ability and we really don't want to lose you is there anything I can do to keep you here at the AG's office and I am, I still remember, I'm in my living room and I've got my arm on the mantle of our fireplace and Chris walks in, she goes, who is it? And I said, it's the Attorney General, <laughs> it's the Attorney General. And she has this look of fear on her face. And, you know, the Attorney General's talking in my left ear and then she starts talking in my right ear, my right ear saying, you go back on this new job, we're through, we're through. <laughs> so... She did not want me to stay in litigation and trial practice. Um, she, and there's a lot of wisdom, right? <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom there. <laughs> so I was like, so, you know, I listened to the attorney general and I said, you know, thank you so much for the call. You know, I really appreciate it. Um, give me a little bit of time. I'll get back to you. And, which, which in and of itself was like, he's the attorney general. So, um, and, and so <laughs> hang up the phone and Chris basically says, look, this is it. This is it. Last straw. Either you go forward with this new job and we change our lifestyle or we're through. And at that point, that was, a, that was one of the you know, you have turning points in your mm -hmm. life. That was a turning point for me because um, in my heart of hearts, even though I wasn't walking with the Lord and I'm becoming a very angry, unpleasant individual, still deep down inside, I love Chris. I want to be there for my children, and I know that my family is more important than my career. Uh, so I chose her, and I chose my family over the career, and that was the turning point because it gave me a little bit more time. But I'm still in my life not walking with the Lord. I'm still obsessed with career. I'm still putting in long hours. The practice of law still is a lot of conflict, and... Um, I'm still a very hard, angry individual. Uh, and then my father died. Right. And that is what really got my attention. So he passed away in, in 1996, correct? Yes, he did. Like you said, it was unexpected in the yeah. barber's chair. So, yes, and in the back of your mind, Dad just had this massive heart attack. 
Right. I'm full of rage constantly. Yeah. That kind of somewhere along the line had to kind of trip a light switch thinking, how long will I be around if I'm constantly, you know, walking well, around you in would rage? think, it would be reasonable to think that, but it, no, no, it wasn't that way for me. For me, what I realized with my father's passing uh, was I, I, I had such a wonderful family life. I had parents who loved me uh, and whom I loved with all of my heart. My brother and I, we had a great, a great childhood. And my dad was gone. He was just suddenly gone. And I realized, I, he's not coming back. I blew it. There were so many years where I could have been spending time with my family, uh, getting to know my father better. And it was always, yeah, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, at some undetermined point in the future. And all of a sudden, I will not get to that. Um, the Lord called him home. And that, that really uh, led to me uh, beginning to be open to the possibility that my life is really screwed up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you here, Deacon. This is from a Catholic uh, Times article that we'll go ahead and, and link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and so this is just after your father passed. I was I was not walking with the Lord and practicing my faith, and losing my father was deeply unsettling for me. I went to my mother's house and expected her to be devastated. But she had this peace about her. As people came to pay their respects, there was a feeling in the house that was palpable. I remember thinking, this is God. Yeah. Tell us, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's probably very vivid for you. Mm -hmm. Tell us yeah. about that moment, what that was like. Oh, I, I remember vividly, um, I was in my mother's kitchen. And, you know, it's a custom where I grew up when somebody passes away. People come to pay their respects at your house. They bring food uh, and they visit with you in your house. And th there were just, you know, streams of people coming to pay their respect. And uh, I remember being in my mother's kitchen and I was looking at people who were coming in to the dining room area. My mother was meeting them. And it seemed, it seemed to me that there was almost like a gray haze in the house. It's almost uh, like I could see something visible there. And to me, it seemed as though that's the Holy Spirit. That's God. And he's settling upon this house and everyone in it, providing them with a sense of peace. Uh, and I had not thought about God Forever. I mean, I was going to church every Sunday, but not really, not really thinking. It was a lifeline to continue to hear the Word of God in in the background, but it wasn't affecting me in terms of changing my life. Uh, but when I had that experience with the Holy Spirit, I I saw God and wanted to be with God and wanted God in my life and began the process of, of trying to, in my own strength, make that happen. And the way I thought that I should do that uh, was to try to be a better person so that God, in my mind, wouldn't stay away from me because you know, he's, he is 
he's staying away from me because I'm such a bad person. Uh, as though, you know, he's punishing me because I'm, I'm a bad person. He's, he's, he's walked away from me, when in reality, I've walked away from him. But I didn't know that at the time. So I thought, well, I'll be, I'll be a good person, and then God will forgive me, and he'll be a part of my life. This is all screwed up. This is not, this is not the way the Lord saves us, not the way he rescues us, not the type of relationship that he wants for us. God always loves us. He's always seeking us. And he doesn't withdraw himself from us. We withdraw from him. We walk away from him. And I had walked away from him many, many years ago. And now I'm beginning to see him and draw near to him. And he is coming at and drawing near to me. As soon as I started to seek him, he came for me. Um, and the process of, uh, of that, that conversion in my life um, really came to a climax uh, in Lent of that year, because I'm trying to be a good person and failing miserably. And I thought, got to Good Friday, and I thought, well, I've got one more day. <laughs> One more day here. This is Good Friday, so I'll stay home. I won't eat anything. I'll fast all day. I'll just get my Bible. I'll sit on the couch. I'll read the Bible all day. Uh, I'll just drink water, and uh, you know I will be good one day, and God then will reward me uh, with his presence in my life. And uh, I got to about 2 p.m. <laughs> in trying to do this, and I was just overwhelmed with hunger. All I could think about is how hungry I am. It's like, I am so hungry. I am so hungry. I've got to get some food. So what I did was I got in my car, and we live south of town, like six miles, and it takes about 20 minutes to get into the center of town. And I drove into town, went to Burger King, got a couple of Whoppers, and then drove you know, back home um, and went to where I was sitting, you know, on my couch and opened up these Whoppers and I devoured them. And after I ate them, I looked down at the wrapper and threw my head back and realized, ah, I am so pathetic. I am so pathetic. I can't be good one day. And I was just overwhelmed with remorse and a sense of total moral failure. And I got down on my living room floor and down on my face and I started I was weeping and I was praying to God saying God I can't do this I can't be a good person I'm such a total failure at this I can't do this on my own but I want you in my life please forgive me for being you know a terrible person for all the sins that I've done and then I remembered from the scriptures uh, the passage where Jesus says I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And so I prayed a prayer that changed my life. I said, Lord Jesus, help me find the Father. Help me find the Father. And at that moment, everything changed. I stopped crying, and it was though God in heaven opened up the heavens and started dumping joy over me. And it was like falling on me and in me and through me. 
And I was just on fire with joy. And I, so I was on the floor, and I, I got up on my, uh, my knees, and I thought, what has happened? What's happened? And I looked out my front window, and everything was there uh, that was there before, but it looked different. The colors were deeper and richer. And I had this sense that, that I was like looking into a new dimension. And I wondered, is heaven all around us? Uh, are, is the immaterial world all around us? And am I looking into it? Uh, and then I had another idea that occurred to me, which was a sense of spiritual revelation. I had spent all of my career fighting with others, constant conflict, and I viewed others as, as people who were in opposition to me that I had to overcome. And the realization that came to me which was that we're all, all people throughout the world are being deceived. We're all brothers and sisters. We are all members of the same family, and we are being deceived into thinking that we have to contend against each other, that we need to war against each other. We're being deceived. So that was an idea that was totally life-changing for me as a, an attorney involved in all this conflict. Uh, and then I prayed a prayer that uh, was a good prayer to pray. I asked the Father, to give me two weeks of this euphoria so that I could go and research. <laughs> That's the way I operated. I'm a, I'm a researcher. Sure. I'm going to go research the fundamentals of the faith, and I'm going to reacquaint myself with my faith uh, so that I could sink down roots uh, because I didn't want to lose this. I didn't want to lose this change, and God gave me that. For two weeks, I'm floating on cloud nine, and I'm talking to people about what's happened to me, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. It's like, what is going on with you? And uh, the person that I shared this with first was Chris, and she looked at me like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And I told her, it's like, honey, I'm never going to be the same. I'm never going to be the same. I've had this encounter with God. He's changing me. And I... I'll never be the same. And she looked at me with that sort of sidelong glance. It's like, yeah, right, we'll see. Uh, and then I told her that even now I'm being changed because as I was talking to her, it was, I had the sound of water running in my head. It's like, it was just washing me and I could hear running water. And then it was an odd sensation of, my brain being sort of broken down into cubes and then it's like broken down from one one design and then remade in another so that everything that I knew and thought about was there but I thought about it differently I just saw it differently um, and I can't really explain these things more than that it's my it's my attempt to really try to convey what was happening to me, but it really, the notion and the experience of God is, is beyond our language. I, I use that word joy, but it's so much more. He's so much more. He's so much more. Uh, and I know now, 
through study of theology that God is he's infinite. So we'll never be able to completely understand or comprehend God. Um, we'll Do- never be able to do that. Dr. Peter Kraft, I think, says it the best, like, uh, I forget which book, you know, he's written 50 books. Yeah. Um, but he just says, how can we little peon humans presume to know the mind of God? Right. You know, there's just, it, it, there's no way. Right. Yeah, the analogy of our relationship to God being like an ant to a human, even that is not, not accurate. Not because enough. it's not enough. Not enough. Yeah, <laughs> not enough. Well, absolutely uh Thank you so much for sharing uh, your conversion story with us. That's uh, phenomenal. And I think this is uh, probably a good place for us to stop uh, part one uh, of this episode. And what we'll do is um, we'll get together and we'll part two. uh, We'll talk about from your conversion um, through being a deacon uh, up through today. So, uh, Deacon, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks.